0: This is the Flashpoint Podcast, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. The focus is the Me Too movement. Me Too founder Tarana Burke recently released a TED Talk saying what many believe to be true. Sometimes the Me Too movement that I hear some people talk about... unrecognizable to me. From the Kavanaugh hearings to the public dragging of folks on social media for minor transgressions to radio stations banning songs like It's Cold Outside as to rapey. I simply must go.
1: Baby, it's cold
2: outside. The
0: answer is no. Baby, it's
2: cold outside. The
0: question is, has the Me Too movement shifted to become a twisted witch hunt and censor? And how do we refocus on its original intent that is the survivors with me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is greg feisman he's a professor at temple university who specializes in public relations reputation management and strategic communications we also have dr monique howard she's executive director of women organized against rape and finally we have christine flowers a fellow attorney and radio talk show host who has penned a few columns with very strong opinions on the Me Too movement, everybody, welcome to Flashpoint.
3: Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you having me here.
0: So, this movement began as an effort to support survivors, and it has since had some twists and turns. Has
3: Me Too gone too far? And Dr. Howard, I'll start with you. I don't think, and thank you again for having me. I don't think that it's the movement that's gone too far. I think it's the translation Mm. of the movement that has gone too far. So let's go back about 10 years when Tarana Burke really started this movement as an opportunity for survivors of sexual assault and sexual violence to have a space to tell their truth. Mm. It was then revamped. Last year, around all the sexual harassment allegations that came out of California yeah. and California mm-hmm. and Weinstein, and then the list began to grow. Um, the hashtag was developed. Melissa um, Milano had a lot to do with that, and it kind of shifted. But the original purpose was to have a space for people to speak their truth and for others to, to hear a truth and believe. It
0: has
1: shifted, yes. and some people called, said that it turned into a witch hunty. I agree 100% with dr howard yeah. that the the movement in and of itself mm-hmm. it has not gone too far the movement in and of itself was based and rooted in Trying to give voice to those who were voiceless, and that's extremely important. Yes, um, I do immigration work. I represent uh, victims of domestic abuse who are foreign nationals, so I understand how important it is for people to be able to get their truths out. As as Dr. Howard said, it's absolutely important. <laughs> what I found happening, and I think it really did it. It I, I hate to use this word, but it almost metastasized when it was grafted onto the entertainment field and politics. And it was sort of taken out of the hands of the women who were survivors saying, listen to us, please. And it became an institutional thing where you had all of these voices all of a sudden coming out and attacking people like Harvey Weinstein and what have you. But it snowballed into something that almost Tarana Burke and the original founders of it couldn't stop. And that was a way of weaponizing victimization, um, depriving certain people of due process, which really, as you as an attorney and I as an attorney, would be very upset about. But what happened um, with the rollout of it is troubling. Now, Greg, you
0: know, this has been this shift that uh, both Monique and Christine mentioned has been a PR nightmare for lots of companies. It's been a PR nightmare for survivors who had to come forward and put their names and their faces on the line. It's been crazy. Can you provide some context for that?
2: Yes. Well, I certainly agree with what Monique said about how the the translation has Mm -hmm. shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, And to Christine's point, certainly looking at it from a legal aspect, and that's one aspect, but there's also the court of public opinion. Yes. And the court of public opinion makes its decision almost instantaneously, especially in this day and age of social media, whereas the court of law has due process. That takes time. From a public relations point of view, organizations and individuals who are accused of this have to operate in the court of public opinion. Mm. Is it a nightmare? It certainly can be. Any allegation this serious, you have to pay immediate attention to Mm -hmm. and you cannot just put it under under the rug and ignore it. We see what happens in all kinds of situations when organizations and individuals ignore an accusation. Now, it's an accusation. It doesn't necessarily mean it's true, but you have to deal with it.
0: Which takes that whole due process thing, throws it out the door because the public opinion has nothing – they ignore due process.
2: Public opinion happens less than overnight and can be in a matter of minutes. There's a very short window of time where you have to ascertain the facts and if there is an accusation that is denied because the person believes that, no, this does not constitute sexual harassment or does realize in retrospect like Neil deGrasse Tyson has publicly stated that – yeah, I did it. I did not realize it would be thought of that way mm-hmm. and I will own up to it and I will own this and I apologize for it and make the public apology. That's the first good first step. I yeah. think there's another aspect to this especially in organizations now is yes, you have the individuals, a Matt Lauer, Harvey Weinstein, those sort of people who have done this kind of action. But what about the organization that has created an atmosphere where for lack of a better term, it's okay to yeah. do that. There's I, a cultural aspect, a and that's part aspect. of
0: what mm-hmm. this whole Me Too movement was about: mm-hmm. was to put an end to rape culture, add more um, bodily autonomy mm-hmm. to sure. for for people who once uh-huh. who are survivors now. And and I want to ask this because you know Greg brought up a point. I mean, organizations had cultures, rules have shifted. America had a culture, and which brings me to this song, "Baby, It's Cold Outside." Okay. <laughs> This was a song that was created in the 1940s at a different time, and now, because of the Me Too movement, because culture is shifting, it's been banned as part of, like, it was part of, like, normal holiday song play, and now it's no longer. The rules have changed, haven't they? Sure.
3: Sure, the rules have changed, and I think that what happens is uh, we have to shift along with them. And so a song that was okay in the 40s and the 50s may not be okay today. If we sit down and and pick apart the words, and, and it's unfortunate that, we, that that's where we are, that um, there are still many people that are challenging the shift from a rape culture to a culture of consent. And so if we really examine some of the wordplay of the song, in the early on, in, in the beginning of the song, and even in the middle, she is kind of... She's saying no. She said I should say no. Mm-hmm. And then the next verse is she says no. And I watched, not only did I listen to the song a, a couple of times last night, I also watched a couple of the videos mm-hmm. that were out during that time. And there was kind of a struggle struggle between her putting her coat on and him taking it off and her putting on her hat and him taking it off. And and, and there was a kind of a, you know, no stay, no stay um, and so, her decision of no wasn't adhered to, and then it appears from the video and the words at the end of the song as though that she did change her mind. But I'm not quite sure it's a hundred percent under her volition. However, we get to the house. I'm holding you back. I'm holding you back.
1: Like, oh,
3: no!
1: can No video, but you can. So <laughs> <laughs>
3: there's an and to this and there's an, and there are so many songs today that are not sexually consensual. Yeah. There, there's no consensual section. And that, and and that's the question. Does it go too far? Are we on the, on the border of, you know, banning and then, you know, what did you say earlier? Banning and then censorship. Like where, where are we, where are we headed toward in this, you know, in this, um, replay of the Me Too movie. And I want to hear from both
0: of you yeah, because right. you think about this is this is another shift, yes. twist, turn. Mm-hmm. Now all of a sudden people are pulling songs off right. the radio. Right.
2: And I, I think there's as Dr. Howard alluded, there, there's a bigger issue. What well, you know, we context is important. Yeah. I think we have to look at the context. Because as Dr. Howard said, yes, this was written in the nineteen forties when the idea of a single woman staying over in a man's apartment was just not done. And whether you like the song or a particular lyric in the song is one thing. But to ban it, I have an issue with that because there are a lot of unpopular and what we would consider wrong ideas throughout the history of this country that we can now look back and say that's abhorrent. But to not expose those ideas, whether it was women not having the right to vote till the 1920s, the US Constitution claiming that African-Americans were only counted as two-thirds of a person, of course those ideas are wrong. But to ban it so that they don't get light shed on them and we can have a discussion about it, Uh that's censorship. And in a democracy, you shouldn't have to censor ideas. Yeah, and this is part of the backlash, Christine.
1: I I agree with Greg. And and the the interesting thing is – when you, it, it's almost in an ironic way, this is paternalistic of the radio stations that are not airing this particular song because they're saying, well, it will be triggering for women to hear this. It would be too upsetting. And if you've been reading, There's been sort of a a parallel with some of the cultures in the businesses now on Wall Street, for example. Mm -hmm. Men are no longer willing to have dinners, no longer willing to engage in after-hour socializing with women for fear of being attacked and called out for sexual uh, improprieties. And so, what you have there is women are going to suffer because of that, because they're going to be deprived. Um, Networking opportunities. So in the career, exactly. So I don't think it's a Mm -hmm. real jump to say that that focusing on this song and focusing on you know this particular uh, context. Is, is going to lead to a situation where we are going to have a balkanization in society. Mm-hmm. And we are going to be telling women, okay, we're doing this for your own good. You've told us that you don't want to be involved in any improper activity. So instead of instead of men learning how to deal properly with women, we're just going to cut you off entirely. And it's, it's a dangerous dynamic, I think.
0: Yeah. And, I, and this is part, but let's, you know, slow down for a second. Because with movements, you know, we were in rape culture, full head on mm-hmm. people, you know, being forced to take shirts off at work mm-hmm. on one hand. And now we on this other end where no men will, will, will have drinks Sorry. with women after work. For the fear. Mike Pence rule. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, the Mike Pence what? rule. And so how do we because movements kind of sure. go back and they go too far. And sure. then how do we get back to this? you know, this middle, because part of that is we have to make change.
3: Right. Right. And I think it's part of it's part of the work that we all have to uh, sign on to to do, which is continue to to make places for people to have conversation and and to voice our opinion and our, our expertise around centering those opportunities for for conversation. And so that that to me is what this whole song is about is. We are, we're losing our opportunity to have conversation mm. um, by, by centering, by banning things. And then the pendulum will not swing back to the center where we can self-correct, right? right. So I know that we're way off to one side right now. Mm-hmm. So we went from, from you know, um, the couch, right, the the, the meeting couch or in, the, in Hollywood, right, to um, and the director is taking advantage of women, and that's that's not brand new. No, no that's no. going on that's for it. generations. The, right. So firing people um, because of the court of public opinion, without shifting the policies in place that allow the behavior to take place, that's it. And if you take away opportunities for conversation, then the the addressing the policies, it never happens, and the shifting the policies that allow it to for. Or individuals that are assaulted to never have a place to go forward because there's no real sexual harassment policy that does not destroy um, your career and doesn't blackball you for something that you worked so hard for. Those are the things that we need to continue to have conversations about. Yeah,
2: and and go ahead. And and even more than that uh, because a lot of the pushback certainly from the business world will – Well, there are policies in place and a lot of organizations do have policies. The problem is they're not enforced. So it's not a question of rewriting the policy or maybe updating the policy if necessary. It's the fact that the organizations are not listening or obeying their own policy until a victim goes public and lawsuits are involved. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're too late. If you you enforce your policy in the first place, if you walk the walk and not just talk the talk – a lot of this stuff can be dealt with.
0: Absolutely. And and I want to mention the fact that, you know, the Kavanaugh hearings were very traumatic to, to most Americans. And just seeing all this happen, I mean, and, and people have been wondering, I mean, the people have taken and I, I'm not saying that um, any incident is wrong, any incident that makes people feel uncomfortable. But it's like the even minor incidents are taken and treated almost the same as very egregious crimes in some instance when you talk about the, the place of public opinion. Right. And so I think that is a big and I know Christine you've written about this issue because it is sort of like everything is elevated to this level. Well that's and, exactly
1: yeah. what, what what um what Monique was saying, what Dr. Howard was saying that the the, the, the purpose of Me Too was extremely important. But what's been happening yeah. to it is the problem. I see and and I know I know Monique has seen victims who have suffered serious, serious yes. abuse, Absolutely. and to have them analogized or placed at the same level as someone who has received catcalls or someone who has been, or the comments have been made that have been objectionable. They're objectionable, but it's not the same as being raped. It's not the same as being, and so mm-hmm. there there are gradations and levels of abuse. And I do think that the problem is that we're conflating bad behavior sometimes with abuse and persecution and and that needs to be addressed too when we try and bring that pendulum back to the center right and when the
3: pendulum comes back to the center then we'll have we'll have a place to have a conversation again the conversation right. piece of communication and and the boundary setting and the conversation around boundary setting is not not what's going on
0: yeah. And I want to, how are, you know, survivors taking all of this? Because this was, this movement was for survivors. Mm-hmm. And now, I mean, even, you know, uh, Dr. Christine Blasey, before, I remember seeing her and it all of a sudden it shifted and, you know, it took her great courage to come out and then the whole thing shifted to something else and she was kind of like thrown to the side mm-hmm. and, and, and suffering. How are survivors handling all of this?
3: Well, there's, in a in a variety of ways, right? And so this is a very triggering times that we live in. Um, not notwithstanding the fact that it's the holiday season, but you know the constant, the focus on it. If you're in a particular place in your healing, then you may not be ready to deal with the the onslaught that the media has right now around sexual assault and sexual violence. For some people, um, some survivors, this is this is a really it's a great moment, right? It's a watershed moment. And that um, people are having conversations about a topic that we didn't talk about, right? We don't talk about sexual harassment. We don't talk about consent. We don't talk about how to really treat people. That's not dining room conversation, right? It's not, you know, um, what does no really mean can you pass the salt? We don't, we don't have those conversations. And so there's a great opportunity for that to happen if, if we take advantage of it. Um, and then there were others that are really watching the critical pieces and how dismissive we were. or Many people were of Dr. Ford. Yes. How she was treated and how, and how she was spoken to and the fact that, you know, um, Kavanaugh behaved in the manner in which he behaved in and it was still acceptable by the majority of the people in the nation. And he got a new job, mm-hmm. you know, and there's no way in the world that you could have walked into any job interview that you ever had and behaved in the way that he behaved and walked out with a job. I mean that's really that's really telling. And so if you're a victim of sexual assault or sexual violence or sexual misconduct and you watch that the translation of the perception may have been my story may not matter. This is what happens when my story gets And so out. people go back into
0: hiding Absolutely. at the same time right. I know a lot of um, people were upset at the at the same time that you know you can have allegations that are that are that you can't even prove. And, and 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 that stopped block you from being able to move well, forward. Here's the in life. thing yeah. with,
3: with with some of the instances that go on. Um and so I, he was in college and to many of the of high the people the high, school, court, high school high yeah. school many of the people that this happens to, that the allegations are against, the perpetrator, it's a point in time. Mm-hmm. It's not a big deal to them. Yeah. Had a couple drinks, did something. Moved on, went on to the next game on the following weekend. wasn't a big deal, right? Our culture supports that because we—that's the kind of culture we live in. His behaviors as a male jock supported sexual harassment. It's not a big deal to him. It's, I'm not surprised he doesn't remember it. Yeah, it's not—it's not a monumental moment for him yeah. to remember. It's not a monumental moment for many of our perpetrators to remember it because many of our society, our society says, "Oh, you know, that's what
1: boys do." It's a monumental what? moment for the victims, and I don't and and I and I hear what you're saying, and I taught in a boys' school, um, so I know the dynamic in a boys' school, um, and they are they're, they're they're great kids, but they're rough and tumble. But I think and and Greg can speak to this point. I think one of the reasons that people who supported Judge Kavanaugh, now Justice Kavanaugh, were were upset is that they saw their fathers, brothers, uh, uncles, um, boyfriends in his position, and. What happens in the court of public opinion – we're not talking about due process. That's right. He wasn't, he wasn't charged with any crime. He couldn't be charged with any crime because the statute of limitations had long since passed. But his reputation was really on trial. And so they were – you know, Blasey Ford was credible. Dr. Blasey Ford was credible. The other accusers were not quite as credible. And as you go further, further back, you have to look and say, well, you know, the credibility of the accuser is one thing what kind of damage is being done to the reputation of the person who has to really basically play defense? He's not able to come out and say, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. And so the anger that he presented at the hearings was understandable to some people who had felt themselves falsely accused. I write tomorrow, um, or I, I write in the inquiry about a situation where the Pennsylvania Supreme Court just came down with a decision this week that held that the identities of eleven priests who had been named in a grand jury report issued in October, uh, August, excuse me, by Josh Shapiro, um, could not be released. They have to be kept under seal because. There's something in the Pennsylvania Constitution called damage to reputation. You have a mm. reputational interest. And if their names were released, their reputations would be would be irreparably damaged. This is not— Even
0: if it was found to be not true, yeah. Exactly.
1: And it's a due process issue with respect to reputation. You're not even talking about people going to jail. You're talking about people losing their reputation.
0: And, 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 I, and Greg, I do want to, you mm-hmm. to bring that up because— you know, survivors, people who have been uh, victimized have a right to have their stories heard. Absolutely. At the same time, you know, if, if 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 you know, things didn't happen. I mean, literally, you could ruin someone's life.
2: Perfect example is several years ago when the Duke lacrosse, men's lacrosse team was accused of, of multiple rape. And in fact, once an investigation was done, it was found it did not happen. Those young men's lives were ruined. Some of them were seniors. They, were, they had lost job interviews. They had lost job offers. I'm, it does happen. I'm not saying it happens a lot. But it does happen where there are false accusations. And let's not forget that harassment and sexual assault is not just limited to women. Yeah. Okay? It does happen the other way mm-hmm. as well. So when we're talking victims of assault, we have to incorporate everybody. Um, and, and I, you know, I don't want to lose sight of that. Um, but I, to reference the Kavanaugh hearings, we, I think the public perception was that that was a trial. It was not a trial. It was a job interview, as Dr. Warren put out. And she's right in that in a business setting, no one would ever get that job. But it wasn't just any job. It was a seat on the Supreme Court. Lifetime appointment. And, and was just going to affect all of us mm-hmm. for the next mm-hmm. several decades. Mm-hmm. So – Again, I come back to context is critical when we look at these things and talk about these things. And I'm glad we are talking because the problem, one of the problems in this country right now is the polarization where people don't talk to each other. Yes, They talk past each other.
0: And I now want to shift the the focus of this conversation to another piece of this, because we live in a society, you know, uh, mass incarceration is real. Mm -hmm. And we talk about giving people second chances in the Me Too movement. Do we talk about second chances? Because there are people who admitted to committing acts. Not all of the acts are crimes, but they've lost their jobs. Their reputations have been damaged, if not destroyed. When do we say, okay, we can rehire these people. They can come back to work. What do they need to do to be able to come back, use their skills? And maybe they were excellent at a job, but, you know, they were involved in some <laughs> I mean, something some questionable behavior. Right. Exactly. Something stupid. Right. Right. Should they be banned forever? <laughs> we're letting people who were drug dealers and robbers come back into society and move up. Should we allow these folks back in? Why are you looking at me? That's um. <laughs> <laughs> a really good point. Thank you so much.
1: Um, you know,
3: I I hear you, and 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 I I do think people deserve a second chance. I think for me, the key is, and and the, and the thing I just said is that this was probably not a very important part or point in the perpetrator's life. It was a very monumental uh, point in the victim's life. Somebody needs an apology. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I think that one of the first things, and thank you for for talking about the fact that Neil did it at least, is I'm sorry. It may have been me. I've I've done that. I may have done that. Smells like something I would have done. Read like something I would have done. No harm, no follower. I didn't I didn't mean to do that. Something that something that feels like it's an authentic apology. Right. And then let's take it from there. Right. Um, many of the cases, many of the things that's going on is there's no apology. Mm-hmm. There's not even a yeah, – it sounds like something I could have done. Let's not even what? an acknowledgement in some we're not cases. Even, yeah. A, yeah, we're not even going to acknowledge it nor apologize for it. And and a, and a good, sincere apology goes so far, and it's so important. And it would have been so helpful for many of the people that careers – now are destroyed right have to to um re, rebrand right and work on their reputation in the court of opinion right so yeah. now you know yeah these people are coming back and they want to come back on television or back on the radio or back on their cooking show but you know we're we are as as the public are the jury are the jury mm-hmm. we will decide that um but the apology, a real sincere one would have gone a really long way.
1: Monique is so right. I just want to reference one yes. one example of what you don't do when you apologize and that's Kevin Spacey. And I used to adore Kevin Spacey. I mean, I still adore him as an actor, but when he was outed, let's say as an abuser, he tried to twin that by coming out as um as gay and it was it just sounded so Tone deaf because instead of he said, I apologize, I'm sorry, and I have issues and I'm gay. And it was it was like he was combining the fact that and he people was an who were abuser.
0: LGBTQ are like, "What well, that has nothing to do with the news, not abuse. a thing that at has all." Nothing to do with abuse. Yeah. So, yeah. so
1: what Monique was saying is very, very true. If there's a, if there's a, an apology from the gut, from the heart, saying, but, "I am sorry," and I got to throw this in there, and maybe
0: and Greg jump yeah. in because does it because trying to rehabilitate right. yourself sure. in the the center of public opinion. Does it matter the egregiousness? Does it matter the egregiousness of the act? Because sometimes in the Neil a deGrasse case, I mean he was touched somebody's arm, made them feel uncomfortable. This wasn't a full out jump on, held you down right. situation. Right. Uh-huh. And so does it matter what what how do how you rehabilitate yourself, the egregiousness of the act? Does that matter? Does that play into how how you how you come back in to um, general society? I-
2: I think your point is well taken. It, it sometimes can be a matter of degree because we have to define harassment versus abuse versus assault, those sort of things. But it, in any reputational situation, whether it's a, a company like Starbucks had an incident in Philadelphia this past year, yes, you have to start with acknowledging and apologizing. That's number one. Step one? Mm-hmm. Except for all, all the four of us sitting in the studio, everybody's made mistakes. OK. <laughs> Nobody is perfect. Uh, absolutely. All right. Every, everybody, you know, has the so-called skeleton <laughs> in the closet. Mm-hmm. But if you apologize, OK, I think the public will be all right. They're owning up to it. They're owning what they did. We'll give them a second chance. Now, if you bloat the second or third time, there's not going to be as much forgiveness. But, you know, if you apologize, OK, doesn't mean your <laughs> yeah. life is over. Yeah. It just means you apologize. And now let's work on how you make your behavior but, I mean, people better. People have been
0: forced to step down. They they apologize. They had to leave their job. Sure. Then they can hopefully, through that apology or whatever, be able to come back. But, you know, because this is Flashpoint, I do have to wrap this up.
2: Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> really? You went that
1: quickly?
0: Wow. I know. Wow. We, we, I want to get your final thought. I mean, the Me Too movement has been exhausting for survivors and scary for employers uh, who don't know how to deal with this. And it's been devastating for many people caught up in this. What will be the next iteration of this movement? And what needs to be done to ensure that it does what it was intended to do?
1: Well, I think, um, and and I'm very grateful to, to Greg and Monique and to you, Cherry, for actually having the conversation. I think it's opened up the conversation. It's actually gotten us away from saying boys will be boys and said some behavior is is not only inappropriate, it's criminal. At the same time, it's also focused uh, attention on extre- uh, extremism, the extremities mm-hmm. of a movement and how you can take something good and turn it into something not so good. So I think the next step is... How do we both honor and respect victims and at the same time impress upon them the importance of respecting the rights of the accused? I keep coming back to that as as an attorney. Um, To me, it's extremely important as an attorney who deals with victims and who also has represented people who have been falsely accused of crimes and who have been in danger of being deported because of that. I think it's extremely important that we balance that out and go back to looking at you know, reasonable presumptions of, of innocence. Yeah. And, uh,
0: Dr. Sure.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, sure. I think that, uh, where, where's, where's the next space for the Me Too movement is that when the pendulum shifts down to the middle, um, we will have to utilize the space that's been created for that, for discourse about sexual harassment and sexual misconduct. But I do want to caution us to that, you know, having, the, having victims have some type of responsibility on, on accusations also give gives them too much responsibility and puts them back in a position of blaming. So we have to be really careful of, of how we situate our victims of sexual assault and sexual violence so that they don't, Um, aren't any more responsible for victim blaming.
2: Yeah, and final word? Final word, I think it starts with education. I think education, not just adult education, but we have to train the next generation of what is acceptable and what isn't. And on a very short-term basis, if people are worried about might I be accused, it's really simple. Just don't be a jerk.
0: Don't be a jerk. And (laughs) on that, I want to say don't be a jerk. jerk. (laughs) Don't be a jerk. And on that, I want to say thank you to Greg Feisman. Thank you to Dr. Monique Howard. And thank you to Christine Flowers for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Thank you.
0: Next up, she treats your ailments. when it comes to student loans. People leaving with $200,000, 300000 in debt. A Philadelphia woman's success tackling a $1.5 trillion problem. We'll be right back.